0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Precision Unloaded podcast. You once again have Mark and Graham, your regular co-hosts. Hello, Mark. Hello, Graham. And we have a special guest. We've got Tony Gillahan. Um, so that's Stuart, who was on a couple of episodes ago, his um, older brother, even though he looks younger. Um, G'day, Tony. How are you going, mate? Oh, not bad. So uh, Tony runs as would you say semi-successful YouTube channel or relatively oh, I, successful? I, I don't even
1: I don't even know if semi would be there, but it, I run a YouTube channel. <laughs> you you
0: get enough views to get a little bit of AdSense, which is pretty cool. Because um,
1: yeah, especially in the in the hunting field, I th- I feel like yeah, there's probably not a heap of channels making much out of it, but I'm making a little bit. That's pretty cool. So again, as you
0: just mentioned, it's uh hunting focused. Um, a lot of uh, Samba, Fallow Deer stuff in uh, rural Victoria, and then um, a little bit of fishing, rabbits, bow hunting, all sorts of cool um, sort of backcountry stuff. So we will link the the YouTube channel somewhere if you haven't happened to seen it, but more than likely you would have seen one or two of his videos, even if if you're not sure who you're listening to tonight. So uh, this episode's less so about precision shooting and more so about... um, hunting pest control <clears throat> that kind of thing um so yeah we've, we're just going to work through a bunch of questions and talk about a bunch of stuff tonight about um obviously samba uh we don't get too many of these where we are so it'd be interesting to talk about them we're going to talk about hog deer which um, a lot of kiwis won't even know what hog deer are and then um hunting dogs foxes and then about your time recently in new zealand when we first met you so um we might as well kick straight into it uh how did you get into making YouTube videos about um, hunting and
1: fishing? Basically, so I, I grew up hunting, like, or and pest controlling mainly, like, alongside my brother Stu with with the old man and that. And as it progressed, got into deer shooting and putting meat on the table. And as I was sort of doing that, YouTube was just starting to become a thing, like. It was starting to become popular. I can't remember what year that would have was. It might have been like 2012, 2010, somewhere around there. And basically just I was trying to find like hunting content on there and there wasn't a heap, and especially Samba deer, there was basically nothing. So I kind of at the time I had a lot of really good property access with good Samba numbers and, you know, was seeing and shooting quite a few of them and thought maybe I should start contributing to youtube and just you know putting some stuff out there and and it just sort of went from there and i haven't stopped since so basically yeah i think i've been doing it for over 10 years now nearly nearly a video
2: a week september 10th 2009 oh wow yeah so it's been been a long time yeah be your 15th anniversary next year
1: yeah and, and like when I started it was not consistent uploads and it was back then it was all about the the silly rock music and everything you know dubbed over or your your hunting footage it was more about the action opposed to the story so it was just like oh yeah. bit bit of rock music and a couple little clips of you walking around through the bush and then deer dying basically
2: <laughs>
1: but uh yeah as it progressed, I realized that I needed to ditch the music and start looking at it a bit more seriously, which I've only sort of done the last couple of years That's the last couple of years is sort of when I started to make money out of it, so and that was just through, yeah, and try not to use like copyrighted music and stuff like that, and just you know making sure all the content was my own, not like if that makes sense, not using anyone else's music or sounds and stuff like that.
0: So when you're coming up with ideas for videos, do you think, uh, oh, I've got to come up with some idea or or how am I going to do this? Or do you just go, well, I know there's some samba in this area. I'm going to go look for a stag. And you just sort of let it happen naturally or do you plan out videos you want
1: to try to get done? Very, very rarely plan videos. Basically, I, and this has been like this the whole time, I just took the camera out as kind of like my hunting buddy. So back in the day I used to basically just hunt solo nearly every weekend and the camera just came along for the ride and whatever happened happened and I'd try and make a video about it. And that's still pretty much what happens to this day. It's just sometimes I'm with Stu or I'm with another mate or I've got the, you know, got my partner with me. So it's just sort of varies a little bit in that regard. But very rarely do I actually plan a video unless it's like a review. Or a comparison, or something like that. But in terms of actually a hunting video, there's not much planning involved at all. It's just go hunting, take the camera, and video what happens. Just let it unfold, and hopefully get a bit of a story out of it. Eh? So it's yeah, good. exactly, it's not and fake. Keep, yeah, it keeps it genuine, and like even um, I I like. I try and keep everything real authentic in terms of if I'm stalking in on a deer and telling the camera I'm stalking in on a deer, I'm actually stalking in on a deer. I'm not just videoing that after the fact. Like, you know how some, some videos, they have like the, you know, the, the up close drawing the bow before the shot when you know full well the camera wasn't actually on him drawing the bow just before he shot it because it was on the animal sort of yeah. thing. Like, I try to keep the the angles and everything authentic.
0: Yeah. That's cool.
1: What what would what would advice if you
0: could give some advice to like an aspiring hunting style YouTube channel, what would that be? Sort of like you say, be authentic or less B roll or what?
1: Um, not even that. I would say probably the biggest thing is using a tripod and getting used to carrying one around and having some type of decent audio. So whether that's a shotgun mic with that, they call them a dead cat. It's like that, that wind sock that goes over the microphone. 100% would recommend having something like that. Um, even if you're video, videoing on a phone, you can get uh, like a Rode USB C type microphone for your phone. I've just recently started using one of them. And in windy conditions, I like can video on my phone now, and the audio sounds really good. But I'd say good quality audio is probably one of the biggest things cuz I'm sure you guys can relate if you watch a video and all you can hear is wind noise and you can't hear what anyone's saying or doing you generally click off the video <laughs> we can relate with some of our podcast audio
0: quality over the last <laughs> 4
1: years oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. well, then you can re- re- relate then yeah
0: I've to the point now I've been running the last couple through a um an AI editor podcast sort of audio so. <laughs> yeah
2: AI Delete Mark from this podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> done.
0: It's. I tell you what, it's actually it's uh, it makes quite the improvement, especially if there's background noise. And
1: I was going to say uh, that uh, that podcast you with Stuart, thought the audio was really good in that. Well, the audio was actually in reality was trash. Like
0: the levels were quite out. I didn't realise. Oh, okay. And the AI um, tuned it up for me.
2: Um, uh, monetisation. So yes, do you have individual videos that get demonetized based on? Content and things, obviously, because that's very.
1: I do, yes, and I have had to. That's a great question, actually. I have had to, um, basically work out a. You know, like a, the way I edit the videos now, I've got to be very careful with what I leave in or leave out. Yeah, yeah. Um, there can't be too much blood. Can't be too much guts. So, even when I'm videoing now, I find that I'm conscious of that. Like, I don't really bother about videoing any part of the cutting the deer up because I know yeah. I can't use it in my video. Yeah. So, I guess in re- even re- in regards to the previous question uh, about planning the videos, once an animal's down, I am kind of planning, I suppose, subconsciously. I'm sort of planning about how I'm going to put the this the footage into the video editor and and, you know, make a usable video out of it, which will hopefully be monetized. And what happens is what basically I'll upload a video to YouTube and if it's all good, it'll just come up that it's monetized. If it's not, it'll be flagged and then I can either request a review on that video or yep. if I request a review and that's fails, then usually I'll have to delete the video and go back to the editor. And try and work out what they didn't like. They don't actually give you a reason what they didn't like. You've just got to try and wing it and hope that you remove the part they didn't like. So, so there's definitely a little bit involved in keeping things monetized. Yeah. And that's, that's why there's yeah, not much deer cutting up or.
2: So did early like videos st- start monetized and then end up being demonetized as things change? Because it would have been like 2009 is like the Wild West compared to now. So, I mean, has it got a lot it must have got a lot different in the last five years probably
1: um, it has the they but do it. So, so back when I started, I wasn't even looking at monetization i had yeah, I never no, no. thought that I would be ever in a position to make some money off YouTube, so I didn't worry about it so I was using copyrighted music, I yeah. was you know cutting up the deer and all, all that sort of stuff um which. It's authentic in that, but, you know, with cost of living nowadays and fuel prices and everything like that, it is kind of nice having a little bit of supplement income from such an expensive hobby. So I definitely had to look into, you know, ways to to make the channel a little bit cleaner and the videos a little bit more ad-friendly, I suppose, for, for YouTube.
2: Yeah, it's a bit hard when the ref penalises you and doesn't tell you what for.
1: It is a little bit, but I am. Yeah. I feel like I've got a pretty good system in place now. That you've learned it, yeah, yeah. I've sort of got an understanding of what I can include or can't include. Um, and then there was I for a while. I was I was actually paying for a um, like an audio, so it's like royalty free music. I was paying yep. for a subscription with that, and then after a few years, like all those videos were monetized with that music, and then after a few years. I I hadn't paid for the resubscription uh, because I just ditched using music altogether. But um, after a few years, I'll start to get these notifications that these old videos were getting demonetized for copyright. It's like, damn, you know, I paid for that subscription back in the day. And now these videos are getting demonetized because they've just, I don't know, the copyright laws must have changed or something happened. But yeah. So there's definitely a bit to it. So the easiest thing I do now is just don't use music because then I don't have any copyright issues.
2: Yeah, none. Yeah. So have you ever thought of, I mean, obviously there's a a wider issue with the, I guess, hunting gun tuber fraternity. Have you ever thought of going elsewhere or is it, I mean.
1: Yeah, I think there's like a few other. I can't even remember the name of the other. Video yeah, services. Curves. But uh, I think as a whole, YouTube, and it has probably turned around a little bit. I think last year or something, there was like this rule where you couldn't even show, you know, a gun being loaded, like a, the bolt being cycled or anything. Otherwise, the video yeah. would be demonetized. But I think there was enough uproar from the big gun YouTubers that YouTube sort of backed off a little bit. And now, now I feel like it's at a pretty, for this day and age, I feel like it's at a pretty, good level it's not the best obviously but for this day and age where everyone's sensitive about everything i think you know there is definitely room to make money out of it and still be able to show most of what happens
2: yeah no that's good because i i was wondering if it was gonna it was getting um i don't know increasingly hard or you know banging your head against a brick wall but it seems like you've sort of got a system you've learned the system a bit and it's it's workable, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd say probably the last, like, 30 or 40 videos, I haven't had an issue in terms of being yep. monetized, so.
2: Yeah, all right, thank you. No worries.
1: So YouTube didn't mind
0: the last video, uh, sorry, a couple videos now ago, when you were detonating magpies in New Zealand?
1: No, nah, that, that was all fine. That's still monetized. <laughs>
0: oh, how, look at that market. Killing magpies actually made money.
2: <laughs> wow, wow. First time ever.
0: Wow, it usually costs us money.
2: <laughs>
0: so okay. Um deer species. So in your area, uh we, we, so we actually went hunting with your brother about um six months ago.
1: Yep. Didn't see any samba, we seen fallow, but primarily samba fallow where you guys hunt. Yeah, it's basically all there is. There's a couple little pockets of red deer here and there. But yeah, where we are, it's predominantly sambar and fallow deer. And hog deer, we'll get to hog deer in a moment, um,
0: because again, not a common uh, deer for us. But so when it comes to hunting, but the, like the hog deer that they're, they're tagged and it's a bit harder to get access, um, we'll talk about. Yep. But samba or fallow, which what's your pick? What do you prefer to? to- oh,
1: sam sambar. I'm yeah, a sambar addict. If if I'm watching fallow deer and a sambar walks out, I forget about the fallow deer.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I don't know, they're just they're, – uh, I think just because, uh, you know, a lot of the deer species like your fallow and your your reds and all that, come rut time, they're – I'm not going to say easy to hunt, but they're easier to hunt. Um, Samba, when they're rutting, it's a very small window of time. You've got to know the area really well. They still don't they – don't, they're not vocal at all. They don't make – you know, they're not roaring or they're not croaking. And they're just, I don't know, there's this big, ugly beast that's just elusive and I'm addicted. So they're
2: quite a challenge <laughs> to hunt then because I haven't I haven't hunted.
1: Very yet. challenging, yeah. Like I, I yeah. would say for probably the last six or seven years, I would say 50 weekends a year, I would be mainly hunting Samba.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's all just local within a couple of hours where you live?
1: Yeah, pretty much. A, yeah, sort of two hours is about what pulls it up. I usually don't travel much further than that for yeah. Samba just because there's no need. Like there's so many around here. Um, but yeah, getting getting a big stag on the deck can be, a you know, very time consuming, and and a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time, which makes them a very frustrating species for people that, you know, are trying to organise a short. you know like a short period of time to hunt them like if someone's coming down for a weekend from somewhere it doesn't give them a whole lot of uh a chance for success i should say
0: yeah well which i
1: kind of like that about them because not not everyone you know not everyone gets a big mature stag well when me and mark come to visit next we expect a
0: mature stag (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah we'll have to be we'll have to be Creative on what time of year you come and, <laughs> and what property I take you to. Yeah,
0: we um,
2: – <laughs> this, this is the classic. Someone who goes shooting 50 weekends a year for samba, sees heaps. Oh, there's plenty around. And we can <laughs> two, da- I two there, days there's, and nothing.
1: There's plenty around, but seeing big stags, like like I said, I've hunted – yeah, I don't even know if I've missed a weekend of hunting this year. If I have it, would it would only be like one or two weekends. And I've shot – I think I've shot three stags, and that's it.
0: I don't like our chances, Mark. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that ratio is not looking good.
0: No, and plus, plus, we don't really put the work in either, do we?
2: Yeah. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not exactly uh, climb to the top of the mountain type hunters.
0: Uh, they don't really have mountains there. They've just got medium hills. We'll be fine. But
2: Yeah,
1: that's for right, Rolling hills.
0: <laughs> yeah, and which will drive up in a Land Cruiser, no doubt. <laughs> Oh yeah,
2: definitely. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just light a fire and flush them out. Oh, that's a <laughs> fuck. <laughs>
1: yeah, not not over summer. No, yeah, the fires were pretty bad a few years ago. There was, uh, there would have been a lot of samba running out of the bush if you'd if you'd been in the right spot, Mark. You would have been set. <laughs> to, to make the best out of a bad situation. I
0: like shit. These fires are bad, but I shot some nice stags. <laughs> uh,
2: so I'll just keep on. I'll keep on. Keep on. Keep on keep an eye on the uh, fire, fire. watch situation. <laughs> and, and time no, no, my no, trip we, with that. I,
1: I'm. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. When you come back over, depending on the time of the year, we we might be able to find your stag. To
0: be we'll get impatient. We'll just shoot the first thing that walks out, man. Don't worry about the stags. <laughs> Big <fire. laughs> Yeah.
1: yeah well, that, that, that happens a lot. I don't know how many mates have had that happen where they've, you know, shot a, a hind or a spike or something. And then there's been a stag that they didn't realize was there and it's got up and run away. And yeah. Like, oh, damn it.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So you mentioned just before hog deer. Uh, yep. And now I know Mark knows a little bit about hog deer. So what are hog deer and what's different? I believe they're the only species with a tag requirement in Australia.
1: Yes. A what? Yeah, so-
2: A tag require. Okay. yeah.
1: <laughs> a tag requirement, yeah. So I don't know the exact details of the ballot because we do like a ballot. In- Every year there's a-, a hog deer ballot and I'm pretty sure, I can't remember the time frame. it might be like three months where people are allowed to go to these different blocks that are allocated to them. And hunt these little hog deer. They're they're tiny, they're like a, a small sheep, and very very tasty little critters. But for for the general public that are that is hunting like private property or public land that isn't part of the ballot, you've got April to hunt them, and that's it. So April first is hog deer opening, and then end of April the season closes. And if you shoot one, like you only get a, you get a male tag and a female tag. And if you shoot one, you've got to put the tag into like the uh, Achilles tendon at the back. And then you've got to take it to a check-in station. So you've got to gut the deer, take it to a check-in station. They do all these measurements on it, the weight, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think they remove the jaw, which I, I believe is just to age the deer. And yeah, then you once you've done it at the checking station, they've written all their data down. Then you take your your gutted hog deer home, and you can cut it up and eat it, or take it to the taxidermist or whatever you're doing with it. So very different to the other deer. So more similar to hunting uh, what would be native species
0: in other countries. So what's what's the reason they run a tag system rather than just free range or open season as such?
1: Uh, I believe it has to do with their population, but in saying that, and they are like, they're a coastal deer, so they're they're limited in, you know, the area they live, like where they live is pretty limited. There's not a huge amount of country where they're present. So that may have something to do with it, that plus the population factor, but at the same time, there are some properties and areas where they cull them, so it kind of seems counterproductive that, in one sense, some of the agencies are culling the deer. Meanwhile, we're paying for a tag system and only allowed to shoot two a year. Yeah. So it's just just one of those uh, those mind bending rules that we have here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's an old almost
2: problem. almost became extinct. In Australia well, yeah, well, extinct in terms of in Australia, during the fifties and sixties, from what I've read. Um, yeah, okay. From the widespread use of ten eighty to control rabbits. Um, and then basically they've taken rehabilitation measures since, hence why you've got a tag system. So But yeah, they've obviously got a quite a distinctive habitat, like you said, um, being a coastal species. And like yes, swamps and some things. So yeah.
1: Yeah, come like hog deer season. If you go to nearly any patch of public land, which is sort of a renowned hog deer spot, there'll be there'll be hunters camping there. And for the most part, they're a tree stand type deer or a stand, like most people will have stands for them. And you're just sitting above a spot all day, just waiting and I've only I've only shot one hog deer. I've been on a few hog deer hunts and I can see the appeal in terms of they're such a challenging crafty little critter. But yeah, it's definitely a different type of hunting to what I would normally do because I normally don't like sitting still for too long. So when you're sitting in a coastal area getting eaten alive by mosquitoes just hoping a hog deer walks out for you, <laughs> it's yeah, a bit different.
2: Yeah, I was surprised because most uh, introduced species normally go gangbusters wherever you let them go because they were they released in the 1860s to Victoria. So you'd think they would have un- overrun the state by 1890, but no. Yeah. So make, that makes some quite I, challenging. I think then, foxes
1: have a big impact on their ah, the young ones. Yep.
0: Oh, they're, they're yeah. Oh, they're so small. Yeah.
1: They'd be tiny. Yeah. Yeah, so that. I'd say foxes yep. are probably uh, a big factor there, and I mean our coastal areas are usually full of foxes as well. So, okay, let's talk about foxes and wild dogs. So, foxes,
0: again, another introduced species from are they English something? Yeah. Uh, again, something that uh, just like New Zealand, um, uh, introduced and got out of hand, um, and they decimate your native lizard and whatever
1: species, I guess, so. Yeah, small marsupials and stuff like that. Yeah, Basically, a- any young native, whether it be wallaby or kangaroos or, yeah, yeah, bilbies, all those little critters. Oh, yeah, bilbies. I know what those are. Um, um the, yeah. bir- Bird life. Yeah, there are probably foxes and feral cats are responsible for probably, I would say, of the extinctions of native animals in Australia. Yeah. That's just a number I'm pulling from the top of my head, but I know that foxes and cats are definitely a leading cause of extinctions for small animals. So when we went out thermal hunting with your brother, one of the things
0: was to look for foxes. We didn't see anything while we were um, behind the rifle, but when Mark and I um, jumped in the truck to leave, one ran in front of us um it was that it was much smaller than i anticipated it fast got to move fast
1: but it was it was not a big animal um yeah they're, they're not very big they're just they like you said they're quick they're you know great hunters and and they also cause havoc for the farmers too like <clears throat> sheep properties that was basically how we gained a lot of our Property access was through fox shooting because we were offering to go shoot the foxes for the farmers, and and sheep farmers definitely like foxes being cleaned up. So, (laughs) so
0: they hit the lambs, I'm assuming.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, big time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I used to, I was in Western Australia, so I looked after broiler chicken farmers, and some of those, if they got tiny gap in the shed, they could squeeze through. They got into a chicken shed. With, uh, you know, 30,000 chickens running around. They'd, uh, oh, they'd probably try and kill the mayhem. whole lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, they just just keep killing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep, 100%. So and they they were showing me st- amazing how, you know, they just could squeeze into some places you wouldn't believe. So
1: when it comes to the foxes, is there a bounty on foxes? Yeah. So in Victoria. I don't know about the other states, but in Victoria, we have a $10 per fox bounty and $120 per wild dog. Okay, so wild dogs then, obviously they're causing more damage if <laughs> if you're getting 12 times the bounty. They're not as common as foxes, but the the problem with wild dogs is because they're a bigger, stronger animal and a pack animal, whereas a fox isn't really a pack animal, uh, you, you've, you know, sometimes you've potentially got packs up to 12 wild dogs and they'll kill mobs of sheep. So instead of wow. just lambs, like foxes will never kill a sheep unless the sheep's already got something wrong with it and it's cast or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you you won't find a- it's I, it. That's half marked Mark's just- sheep. <laughs> <laughs> was I was going to say if it's a I'm merino, then foxes are killing sheep. lie down here.
2: Kill me. <laughs> I, yeah.
1: I can't stand back up. I'm a merino. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: but but yeah, so wild dogs will often hunt in packs and they are killing full grown sheep and they will kill calves. So they won't kill cattle, but they will kill, you know, freshly born calves. So huge detriment to farmers, hence the bounty. And they're and they're like a cunning animal. The the baiting of them doesn't work as well. Like we have full time wild dog trappers in Victoria so their sole job is driving around setting wild dog traps and they'll usually use either their own like they'll buy dog urine to mark the traps with or they'll have their own working dogs to you know to basically leave a scent and then they'll set a trap there and hopefully catch the wild dogs
2: and and you were saying 100, 100 bucks, bucks
1: a full, head full-time job 120 100 bucks a yeah, head
2: 120 yep. bounty god alex yep. would like mark where are the dogs gone oh no man. but I've got 480 bucks in my wallet
0: (laughs) 480 Australian dollars too Australian dollars too (laughs) we're going to start next time we come over we'll bring a bunch of dog scalps from the local pound from the SPCA (laughs) sneak them in (laughs) good thinking Yeah, we'll make money spend $1,200 to fly there
1: You've just blown your cover now, though. Uh
0: this, this will get like four hundred downloads. I'm sure we'll be fine. I don't think the, the Victorian
2: police
1: is going to be worried about it.
2: So their population—they're not dingoes, are they? Really? Uh,
1: uh, it depends but- who you ask. Because if <laughs> because if if you ask the Save the Dingo groups, then
2: they'll. <laughs> yeah, from what I gather, if they crossbreed. So they're really not dingoes anymore, but they're far uh, worse if, if they're not dingoes. Is that how
1: well I understand it? So basic basically, as far as I'm aware and whether it's changed or not, but it was the rule was if it was three kilometers outside of private property boundary, it was classified yeah. as dingo. Yeah. If it was within three kilometers of private property boundary, it was a uh, you know, wild dog and shoot it. Right. So they had like this buffer zone of, and and I think the idea behind that was was if a dog's further than three kilometres out of the buffer zone, it's not really, it's not harming the farmer's wildlife or the stock or whatever. It's it's just out in the bush being a dog. So I think that was where that sort of rule came into play. But yeah, dogs they- can travel three kilometres very easily. So. <laughs>
2: No, I so, m- yeah. remember the very rare cases over here. Like we had one inland from here, a dog that had gone, a pig dog that have gone feral, started killing a lot of sheep, and they yep. had a huge effort to get it. Like it was so cunning, you know. They'd oh, they're And that's that's it. why
1: there's that's why there's people employed to trap them because trapping is probably the most effective method because yeah. they very rarely take baits, yeah, and they're they're hard as hell to shoot. Like I've only shot, I think I've only shot one wild dog this year.
2: Yeah, I remember this hey. one, They, an old guy got it. It was, it just paused on top of a ridge, mile, you know, huge distance away, looked back and he managed to get it, bang. But they'd, they'd spent months trying to get it, like it was just driving them crazy. Yeah, yeah,
1: they're so smart. So have, is there any,
0: well, a whole Australia, but are dingoes nearly bred out of pure existence? Are they all crossbreed with dogs now?
1: It's the same thing. It depends who you ask and who's done the, the DNA testing. Okay. Because oh, yeah. some people will say that there's not many purebred dingoes left, and then others will say that most of the wild dogs we are shooting are mostly purebred dingo. But at the end of the day, and legality-wise, if it's n- near or on private property and harassing livestock, it's going to get shot. Yeah. Cool is. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So- Often are you actually purposely hunting them or is just like a bike like
1: you've I seen have them before. Like, uh the one I shot yeah. this year was I, I was actually out I was land based shark fishing at the time and I got a phone call from one of the farms that I shoot on. As and, you do, yep. Yeah, and he, he uh <laughs> asked what I was up to and I said, I'm shark fishing <laughs> and um he said, Well I've got this <laughs> he's like, I've got this wild dog. I've had a couple of sheep Bitten. They haven't been killed, but I've had a couple of sheep bitten, um, and he sort of roughly described where that had happened on his farm, and Stu and I went up there that afternoon, and we took all the thermal gear, and we were prepared to do like an all-night stakeout, and um, I was just sitting there in me crocs at the car, glassing over the sheep, and just noticed a couple of sheep Running around, it was like we'd only been there for like an hour or two and uh, noticed a couple of sheep just looking at something and then next minute the sheep are running and, yeah, there was this dog chasing them around. So we raced over and, yeah, I shot this dog. So that was one of those cases where I was purposely actually targeting a dog and went out and got yep. it. But, yeah, that doesn't happen often just because most of the farms where I hunt, all the boundaries are sort of managed by the dog trappers so the dogs are getting caught before they're coming into the properties. And a lot of the properties yeah. I hunt on as well have good electric fence boundaries, which is one of the biggest things to preventing wild dog attacks is having a good working electric yeah. fence.
2: Huh. So, so if you – if you like the, the, the one you saw, uh, you, know, you described, I mean, would you go to a certain distance before – uh, or, you know, do you try and keep – because obviously they're – they're not stupid obviously that one was but um you know do you just stick to a certain range when you have a crack it's it's one of
1: those catch-22s of trying to be close enough that you're almost certain of a hit but not being too close that you're going to spook it so i I think that one i shot was i think 250 meters something like that yeah cool
0: It's not really a problem we have here (laughs) Like messed wild dogs.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not no, as big of a problem. Not, not yet. The- yet. <laughs> fair. If if realized- I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm saying for like our local area is it's not as big as a problem as it used to be because of all the efforts gone into managing them. So yeah. so prior to all the dog trappers and that at the moment, a lot of people around where we hunted had sheep. They were sheep farmers, but wild dogs caused. I'd say probably ninety percent of them to go out of sheep farming, because they were losing sometimes hundreds of sheep a year, and at that time sheep were making good money. So and lambs and stuff. Like I think one night mum and dad had twenty one lambs killed by a pack of dogs. So yeah, that would that's that starts to yeah it starts to get expensive really quickly. So a lot of farmers just said stuff the sheep will will only farm cattle. And that was purely based on the the wild dogs being out of control. But like I said, now with with the control measures they've got in place, it's not as big of an issue. But they're still definitely out there. There's still you know quite a few getting shot by by farmers or by hunters on their farms. So it's just one of those no, things no, it's that you've other, got to keep other,
2: on top of. Yeah. it's the same in other parts. Like once again, WA where I was, they had um. Areas that had basically gone out of sheep because of, they basically couldn't control the dog population or, you know, well, you know yep. lost control of it. And the large predator fence, you know, some areas had them built, others didn't, sort of thing. So, um, yeah. It's certainly yeah. not so, and it's like I anything. A-
1: if, if the fences aren't being taken care of, then the dogs will end up getting yeah. in. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. just a constant battle.
2: I mean, they they didn't introduce a breed, some breeds, a breed of sheep, or some that were quite used to and defensive oriented and flock habit that they would um could actually essentially by their behaviour fend off the dogs to a degree. So yeah, yep. they're an African breed. I can't remember what they were, but but I mean, down your way, all merinos. I'm assuming pretty much. Yeah, merinos and crossbreds. Yeah
1: sheep chat
0: you know. sheep chat on the oh, podcast yeah. oh, just, just <laughs> mark's in his element about sheep we've put up sheep like 30 <laughs> times oh, I? <laughs> no, thank you for int-
2: introducing wild dogs to solve my sheep problem <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, shit. All
0: right, so okay back on uh more more relevant topics than mark's yes, um, farming yes. um <laughs> what what's what's your go-to caliber for for hunting um More so if there's no rules on minimum calibre, because we'll we'll touch on minimum calibre at the moment, but what do you like to use or what would you like to use?
2: Uh,
1: Over the years, I have tried quite a few different calibres, uh, but at the moment, I've got two deer rifles and one's in 7mm RAM mag and the other's in 300 PRC, and I absolutely love them both. Magnum guy, eh? That's cool. Yeah. Factory ammo, I'm assuming? Yeah, I used to hand load, but for probably for the last uh, four or five years, I've just run factories purely because most of my ranges, like shooting ranges, is under 800 meters. And the, the factory ammo, I found, at least for me, you know, when you kept it under that sort of range, it was the, the limiting factor was more so me, the shooter, opposed to the ammo. So. I just out of out of a time saving and efficiency standpoint, I just preferred to run factories.
0: That's fair. So you pick if you had to pick between three hundred and the seven
1: mil, what would you pick? Oh, probably the three hundred, just because for Samba deer, like they're a pretty big deer. Like you know, you shoot a mature yeah. state. it's like that two hundred and fifty to three hundred kilos, and they're tough too. Uh, I yeah, having that bit of extra punching power, I don't think hurts. How
0: how good would a suppressor be on the end of your three <laughs> hundred?
1: It would be lovely. It'd be a lot better than the muzzle brake on yeah. this. <laughs> uh, anyway, unfortunately, tell, tell us about yeah.
2: Sorry. So what what's the three hundred rifle? What what is it?
1: Uh, it's and a um, Christians and Arms Ridge line, and I've yep. put it in a KRG X ray stock.
2: Yep. Optic.
1: Uh, NX-8, two and a half to 20 okay. by 50.
2: Oh, yep. Good choice.
1: It sounds like a pretty good uh, setup, yeah. It, yeah, it is a very nice setup. It's it's just Are a little bit quite, heavy. Like,
2: the barrel's but, not ultra heavy in those, is it?
1: It's not. It's, it's not like, the barrel action's action quite light, but the chassis yeah. is a little bit heavy, but it, it makes it a lot nicer to shoot. It's one of those yeah. trade-offs. Yeah so the heavier the gun the nicer it is to shoot but it's just worse to carry
0: actually so you so you came to new zealand a few weeks ago and you shot a christensen's arms here i did and but in 223 um, how did you find the sig scope <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm sure it is a great goat culling scope <laughs>
0: That, for, that for, but, you've got to be over sixty to use them, I'm pretty sure. But
1: <laughs> no, to be, okay, to, be yeah. fair, to be fair, to be fair for it, it's, it's uh, intended purpose. I'm I have no doubts it works very well, and I saw it in action on the goats, and it worked very well. But ju- just it was uh, just for me personally, um, probably because I've gotten so used to like a small floating centered dot reticle and that's probably more my bad than than uh, any anything else is not being v- versatile enough to to handle a different type of radical. You're so
0: <laughs> you're so p- uh, professional in case of a um uh, future all SIG necessary. sponsorship.
2: <laughs> he's had he's had time to reflect on it, Graham, and he he realises that it's not the scope's fault. Well, um, I'm, that's right.
0: I would say I'm not sure how you, Mark, use it for such like hit so many 22 targets with all the dots. You do quite well with it, so.
2: Thank you, thank you. No, it's yes. good, it's good. I was having one of, the, one of the sharers the other day said to me, oh, I've got one of those, I'm going to throw it away, it's useless. <laughs> so I said, why? Because the battery's flat. I said, why don't you change the battery? Oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, how about you come up and we shoot it and I get it set up and running for you again and then you might, you know like it oh i haven't even turned it on for three years okay well it's not gonna be much used to it so you probably could have given him a 24 box of piss for it
0: mark and you would add a a 13th one to add to the collection <laughs> do not
2: need another sig BDX. no because no, anyway.
0: you just bought another one a month ago yeah
2: i did i did i did <laughs> <clears throat> yeah how was the how was the 223 did you like that
1: i did quite like that yeah yeah no i I like that it's nice. a one in eight twist, so you can run that. That you know those heavier pills. Yeah, just because over here, <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, well, you did say that about the uh, accuracy issues with it, but over here, like it is getting more common that the two to threes are one in eights. But you know, back in the yeah. day, everything was one in twelve, so everyone's just used to running forty and fifty grainers out of two to three. So it's <laughs> it's cool to, to be able to accurately run something a bit heavier.
2: Yeah, Tika puts out both. like you see it on the on the shelf. They'll have they'll either, it'll state one and eight or one in twelve. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Most people are going the one in eights nowadays. But yeah, but, yeah. You know, back when we sort of first started getting into all the fox shooting, everything was one in twelve speed. Pretty much. Speed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so
2: so you said more rim mag. What, what, what's that?
1: That's a Psycho A seven Rough Tech. And then I put oh, yep. Atlas Works bottom metal on it because the, the factory, well, I'm, I was going to say bottom metal, but it was bottom plastic, it was absolute garbage. And it's got a Carl's 624i on it. Oh, yep. And it is, yeah, it has accounted for a lot of deer, and I absolutely love that gun.
2: So what do you feed that uh, weight? Like
1: 162 can... ELDX. Oh, Yeah. Yep. and then in the 300 it's the 212
2: ELDX. 212s so I was going yeah, I thought it would be the 212s so there's not much other choice. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I I would have run either the ELDMs or the ELDXs but the the 212 ELDX shot better in my gun yeah. so that's what yeah. I run. I just yeah, just shot the more accurate one. But but we've had really good success hunting with either the ELDX or ELDM. We sort of used them across the board in basically everything. With, with yeah. samba being heavier? Like a, a heavier framed animal, obviously the, the X is,
0: from what we understand, designed for the bigger, you know, elk and bear and moose and stuff.
1: Um, it's expanding perfectly fine through those big shoulders. Yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. But so same with the ELDM. Like I've got quite a few mates that have three hundred power season run the ELDMs just because they shot better in their rifles. And yeah, we've never had any. Uh, any issues with either ELDX or ELDM? Yeah. On on Samba size game or fallow deer or just anything in general?
2: Yeah, well, it's a pretty big jump up and it's 50 odd grain TV than most 300 windmag loads, 180 grainers or something. So it would certainly have a bit more grunt and the ELDM projectile.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think ideally, like, you know, the ELDM is probably a bit better at the longer shots just for expansion purposes. Um, yeah. But in saying that, like I've shot quite a few samba past six hundred meters with the ELDX, and I haven't had an issue. So,
2: so what's the, What's your previous guns? What's the one you sold that you should have kept? If
1: you stop trying to
0: bring up two twenty Swiss mark, I tell you. Uh,
1: <laughs> no, because I, I honestly don't miss that. I don't miss that gun at all. <laughs> <laughs> you probably sold it to some gullible dude, yeah,
2: who uh, paid too much, much for I
1: sold, it. <laughs> I sold it to the gun shop. From where I bought it from. <laughs> yeah, I sold it it's back still to when that happens. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it was a, it was a great gun. It's a Ruger M77 220 Swift, but, and it was a great way to get into the long-range game. Like We started sort of shooting rabbits and, and foxes out of – I think back then we were in yards, so it was like 400 and 450 yards and whatever, uh, which packet. was quite a long yeah. way for a 55-grain pill. Um. But, yeah, other than that, like, I, I sort of – my first deer rifle was – I think it was a Hauer 3-8 wind Mag, and then I had a Tika Light 3-8 wind Mag, and then a Brownie X-Bolt 3-8 wind Mag, uh, and I don't miss whoa, whoa, whoa. So
2: that's not overly common here. So what was the uh- – uh,
1: It was just a silly 18-year-old wanting the, <laughs> the biggest, biggest baddest – yeah. Recoil, smashing your face apart, stupid calibre out there. <laughs> just, nothing against 3-threat mag, but I would never buy one ever again. Never. Which is obvious, never the same
2: one. Same case size as 3-and-1 we, it just nicked up. Yeah?
1: I believe so, yeah.
2: Yeah. Graham will confirm that. Who knows I knows everything about these.
0: I uh, and if I don't, I'll just say I do. Uh, I think yeah, it is. It. I think it is, in fact, a uh, three hundred wind mag case with a three three eight. diameter yeah.
2: Because
1: yeah, like, like back then, nothing, nothing had a muzzle break, so it was just. Yeah, I was just getting beaten up, and at the time I was hand loading. I'm trying to accurately shoot an unbraked three three eight wind mag prone, trying to find the accurate hand loads for this stupid thing, and yeah. Yeah, it just absolutely dumb. Like looking back now, I just think how dumb was I. But and uh, and I was running the the Barnes TTSXs the two twenty fives, and I think Barnes are a great pill sub a hundred, maybe two hundred meters max. But past that, they just pinhole. And yeah, I had a few instances of where I I had issues with their projectiles and. Same thing knowing what I know now i wouldn't wouldn't do that again, but it's all just learning experience, I suppose <laughs> so,
2: uh, so I can't sell you I can't sell you my three seven five Ruger then
1: well funnily Absolutely enough <laughs> funny enough
0: it's not based on the round wind mag it's based on the three seventy five h and h oh. ah
2: so,
0: so there you go, and who knows. What else would be wrong about this podcast? But um, <laughs> everything. There's no there's no hog deer in Australia. Um, they don't even exist. They, it's
2: no, the up. AI the AI will fix it, Graham. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, the AI like the podcast. Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so you guys have uh, for samba anyway a minimum uh, caliber requirement for hunting in Victoria and fallow
1: deer minimum for fallow deer what twenty two and red deer and actually I think Victoria has caliber limit on all deer species. So, for, for fallow deer and hog deer, it's minimum of a 243. It might be the same for chittle and... I, yeah, so chittle, hog deer, and fallow deer is minimum 243. And then for samba, reds, and I believe rusa, it's 270 is our minimum hmm. required calibre.
2: Isn't that a bit like the UK gram for the 243 starting thing?
1: Yeah,
0: 243. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um,
2: and so two, anything 270 caliber and above. So you could shoot yeah. with 300 blackout.
1: You can, yes. That's yeah. odd, isn't it? Which I have. might have been part of a 300 blackout hunt where we did kill the sand with a blackout. Sweet.
0: So there's not a power, minimum power factor. It's a, um,
1: just based on, uh, and diameters. not unless it's changed. But yeah, it was just bullet diameter. I think there there might have been a length in there as well of the case. But yeah, I haven't actually refreshed on the rules because I I'm running two legal Samba cal- calibers anyway, uh, the seven mm rim mag and the yeah. three hundred PRC. But yeah, the 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 minimums I know of are the two four three for the smaller deer species, and then the the two big deer species. Uh, yeah, two seventy.
0: So this is on both private and public land.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so- and it varies varies between states. So I think some states don't have any limits, and you can just use whatever. But for Victoria, that's yeah, that's our regs.
0: So here, if you're hunting on dock land, uh, I believe it's triple two as the minimum
1: cartridge. Yeah, I think I actually remember seeing something about that when I did my license testing for yep. New Zealand.
0: And then public land, uh private land, um, no, there's no rules. Uh, sorry, there's no caliber rules.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, um,
0: yeah. I don't think you're allowed shotguns on dockland either. They're worried about um, native birds being targeted and the like. So, yeah. So rimfire or shotguns? I, I, I someone will correct me, but um. Yeah, that's how they
1: – Yeah, so I, I think I think th- to a point the, the calibre restrictions are, you know, are th- they're obviously there for a reason, but I think we actually discussed about this while we were over, like when Stu and I were over there, is the problem is if, if you give someone a, say, 6.5 Creed on a Samba – versus a, a 300 wind Mag, yeah, the 300 Win Mag's got a lot more energy and power behind it, but most people will shoot the 6.5 Creed way more accurately. So at what point does the the extra power outweigh a bad shot placement? And it doesn't because if you shoot a, a Samba badly with a 300 wind Mag, it's, it's still going to get away whereas if you shoot a samba well with a 65 creed, you know what i mean like it's i know why they've got the limits there but it it def- definitely has its flaws. So yeah, yeah, but it's just it's just the way it is, that's just that's our regulation so so everything especially in Victoria you've got to be really conscious on what calibre you're buying or you want to invest in, especially if people doing custom builds and stuff because you've got to – you know you've got to make sure you're over that 270 minimum caliber limit for samba
0: yeah not not issues we have here but it's um like you say a bad shot from a 270 or a good shot from a 223 or something you know like it's a yeah it's uh so you come over to new zealand recently tagging along with your brother um he, he came over to shoot a couple of matches with us and you have inadvertently got dragged into that too, but while you two were here, we did uh, yeah, some, some very Taranaki-styled um, pest control, being uh, possums, goats, pigs, and even some magpies, um, which are on the protected list where you live, but where we are, they're on the pest
1: list, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was something a bit different for you. That was definitely a bit different, especially like at the moment we've got, it's not a pet magpie, but it's like a a magpie that thinks it's a dog at mum and dad's house. So, you know, one weekend we're up feeding and patting this magpie at home and uh, then the next weekend we're shooting them. The best of both worlds, some would say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so no, that, that it yeah. was that was very interesting. Uh, being able, to, it was good practical shooting with the magpies while Stu was getting his three oh eight sorted for the match. Being able to, to shoot some small moving targets, I think that that definitely helped in his in his scores. <laughs> So, so this time of year, um, there's a
0: lot of sort of younger, juvenile magpies around. There, they're a full size bird. They just, um, they're not quite as sharp as the older ones. Yep. So they do make uh easier targets somewhat. So, you, you guys must have shot between you, bloody eight, nine, or ten plus birds.
1: Yeah, there was, was quite a few.
0: Yeah, it was good. It was a good session. Um, I actually, I actually shot three today, um, when when I was up there. So, um. I, I had to stop myself because I was there to do other things. <laughs> you,
1: know, just, you get distracted. Yeah, just,
0: you just end up shooting birds for hours and using up all your ammo. But um, okay, so magpies, we got those out of the way. Pretty much that same day, we went and we went and looked for some pigs. Um, but uh, different property, and this property is uh, <laughs> it's a bit more gentlemanly when it comes to pig hunting. Would you yeah, say that was that,
1: that was impressive I was impressive I did like that layout like having the uh the balcony over the bait station that was that was quite nice <laughs> yeah. yeah and we still managed to go for quite a big walk as well we didn't yeah, even need to I don't know why Mark took us everywhere <laughs> we should have just set set <laughs> No down. he he was showing us the sights he I was just that, I wanted isn't that what all the
2: feeling that's, that's what all the feeling that you I wanted To give you the feeling, you've actually done something,
1: yeah. That's know exa- yeah, that what all the good guides do. They just take you on a big lap and then yeah. you shoot something yeah. from the point A
2: <laughs> where, you, where you started from,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty much next to the cast. You've got, you got this there's, there's
2: one there, there's one there. So don't worry, it'll come back. And we just came wandered off and came back a couple hours later, and they were back, so. yeah, yep.
0: yeah, yeah. The only time I've seen Mark do that much walking is when we got the side-by-side stuck at the back of his farm once. The only time I've seen him walk that much. It wasn't good. <laughs> it was not good, but anyway. <laughs> That's <laughs> another story. <laughs> yeah, it might even be on an old podcast. Um,
2: yeah, so- there's only, the redeeming feature was I got to cover you in mud. So was-
0: yes, yes, that is yeah. uh, that did happen. Um, so your brother shot. Uh, it turns out, I don't know if I told you the weight, uh, gutted on the hook, it was 99 pounds. So Mark's guess of one twenty was way off.
2: (laughs) Was way off. (laughs) I don't think I said that.
0: So now, now I'm subtracting twenty pounds from every pig weight he gives me.
2: Uh, My estimation is terrible. I I, I
1: thought that estimation would have been with guts in.
0: No, we don't do that here. We don't do that. That's an Australian thing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I was going to say that. Otherwise, that would be a pretty close estimate.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, it could have been, Mark. You tell me.
2: No, I'll never do guts in.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. I'll just leave it in. So actually, it's it kind of shows on the video. Again, go to Tony's <coughs> YouTube channel and you'll see the video of the Kiwi, uh, Kiwi trip. But um, Stuart um, smacks this pig. It's only like 110, 120 metres. And it tears off into some young pines, I don't know, 10 metres away. So we head down there. And they and they're looking through the thermal and they go, Oh, there's 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 the bloody boar. He's got his head up. So he shoots this thing in the face. <laughs> and we we go we go into the into the young pine trees and here's this small sow with a big bloody half of it. And, and Stuart's going, Fuck, I'm sure I shot a boar. And Mark's going, I'm sh- Mark, I'm sure that was a boar we're looking at. And sure enough, a little bit of exploration, they found the boar. He was very well dead about two, three meters on the other side of the trees. But um Yeah, it was a bit yeah, he of a got, laugh.
1: He got, he, yeah, he was only meant to shoot the one and he got the two. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he shot Horty's best breeding pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we would have seen across the night. I imagine we've seen some pigs twice, but it would have been 40, 50 pigs, including small ones, I guess, at a guess. Um, Yeah. Somewhere around there. It it was a lot of pigs. To one point, Mark, actually, we went up to one area, and there's nothing there, and as we're walking away, leaving, it might have been you, Tony, turned around, and there was a bunch of pigs had just walked into where we previously were about a minute before, so Mark decided to walk up to them uh, unarmed, He must have got within about a metre of one of the sows. It was
1: was very close. I I think I had that in the video.
0: (laughs) It is, it is,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, And um, unbeknown to him, you can see it in the video, there's another troop of pigs walking down towards him (laughs) (laughs) that I don't think he noticed, but
2: eventually... I didn't notice them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, then the wind changed.
2: I was just astounded how close I could get to this other one. He was just busy chewing away on a carcass, (laughs) just didn't even bother. I had the light on him as well. It's just... Yeah. yeah that's completely cool. ambivalent
0: yeah that finally uh, you could have um would have been perfect for your 9 mil mark
2: yes yeah
0: yes <laughs> past twenty meters you can't hit much uh, and then obviously so the pigs was was quite a different experience in fact i've never hunted pigs um in quite such a um gentlemanly manner before but it was fun it was good <laughs> uh, we we actually i was talking to simon was we saying we should go out there and um Try to do like a daytime afternoon sort of evening thing and try get one with the 303. Um, that'd be cool, maybe a bit more walking around, maybe not just shooting from the um, the veranda. But <laughs> this
2: sounds, sounds like a staged video,
0: yeah. We shoot it from the veranda that we, we film the walking around afterwards, just like you told us to do,
1: Tony. It, it, yeah. <laughs> hey, I said to keep it all authentic, <laughs> stand
2: yeah. on the lawn, don't shoot off the veranda, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Just tell Horty not to mow the lawn so it doesn't look too suspicious. Yeah, yeah it row. looks a bit more rustic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, you did a, you went with Mark and shot, I don't know, 20, 30 goats um, yep.
1: using the 223s and stuff. Uh, again, do you have goats in your area? Not in our area. I like I have hunted and shot goats before. But yeah, there, there's I think there's a few small pockets of them around here, but most of them are, are more in than, like probably northern part of the state into New South Wales than Queensland. Yeah. There's, there's definitely larger numbers of them because quite a few farmers round them up and sell them. So on a lot of the bigger sheep stations and that up north, I know if you're a hunter, they'll usually re- require – they'll want you to pay if you shoot any goats. Pay to shoot goats? <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. just because they're worth money to the farmer, sort of thing. So I think one property I have hunted on years ago, I think it was 150 bucks if you wanted to shoot a goat,
2: because that's what he was making. One dog for every goat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What one point one dogs for goat? One (laughs) point one dogs for goat. (laughs) Yeah, because at the time he was making 150 bucks a goat through, um, you know, through the mustering of them and selling them, sort of thing. So. But we we uh we didn't shoot any of that troop because there was n- none big enough that were worth one hundred and fifty dollars to us. <laughs> wow. wow, Mark, you've shot
0: um about twenty million dollars worth of goats in the last ten years.
2: <laughs> yeah, if it was in the right place in the right country.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah shit. Okay, well that's that's different. But again, different, different
2: country like you say um, I'll start a live export ship and send them over there
0: I did I did notice on your video someone commented about how much of the goat meat did you eat or something oh
2: yeah <laughs> and, I, and I
1: said what, what was my reply something about like oh nature took care of it or something <laughs> <Yeah>. fertiliser <laughs> yeah.
2: regenerative goating yeah
1: no, nothing's wasted in nature no um, not in Bowers Valley anyway um,
2: <laughs> yeah not with the flies down there <laughs>
0: and then to top off your um piss control sort of side excursions while you're here you went on a uh, very taranaki style uh, possum hunt um yeah that was great so again a, a species that is uh, uh
1: protected up, in australia
0: yeah people c- get quite excited to see them uh, the bushy-tailed yeah. possum uh, we don't call them bushy tails we just call them possums yep um uh, but here she obviously
2: fifteen. I charged fifteen dollars a shoot one. Awesome. So I waived it for you guys. <laughs> oh, thanks, man! Really new business, <clears throat> gullible people. Oh,
1: wow, that's so cheap.
2: So,
0: so like here again, we went to. I went to. Grew up in a rural sort of school environment. We were taught at school to kill possums. Like if you see a possum, run it over, or pull it out of the tree and yeah. whack, it on, whack it on a post. But so it's quite normal. Nice. Yeah, well, it's just how it was. There was the nineties. I don't. I doubt it's like that at school now. But um, so just shooting, no, they're running just, over they're possums. Trying to work
1: and, out what gender they are at school now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Make sure you don't misgender <laughs> the possum. <laughs>
2: uh.
0: Yeah. But anyway, it's um. So how did you find that? So you guys took a semi-automatic twenty-two and a shotgun, I believe, possum hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will – Stu had the Trek 22, so that was a lot of mag dumps for maybe three possums. Yeah, pretty normal. Uh, <laughs> and then he had the the 410, the revolving 410, which was absolutely hilarious. Like Jeff and I were following Mark and Stu while they were on the bike and that was that was pure comedy gold, just watching Mark drive along on the bike and then pull up and Stu's racing off – Blasting the possums with the 410. And he was a man uh, on the mission. uh, Yeah, you can see why he loves his pest controlling.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I more stick to the deer hunting and that over here, but Stu is all about his pest controlling. Like he's, he's got his, um, his tallies of how many hundreds of rabbits he's shot for the year and foxes and all that sort of thing. He absolutely loves it. So, it was it was good seeing him um, right in his element. Jeff and I were just sitting back laughing, but there were a few times where I did shoot a few possums with Jeff's Begara, and uh, that thing's stupid accurate. That was that was really nice to shoot. Was it a semi-automatic one? It was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: The, yeah, yeah. It was a I think it had the
1: element Titan or helix on it, one of the two, um, hmm. but, yeah, there was quite a few. Hundred plus meter shots, just in the spotlight, and yeah, it was it was doing really well. Yes. it was a good fun night. I
0: I've shot oh, tens of thousands of possums since I was a kid, but I still love possum shooting to this day. It's um more than shooting goats. It's way better than shooting goats. It's it's probably
1: yeah. Right? I could I could see I could see why it would would stay enjoyable. We probably can- just because there's so many of them over there, and like they are obviously causing you know yeah they're yeah, a problem <laughs> but it but it's good if if you can if you can control something you're you're helping out the the landscape and the environment, and it seems like quite a social thing as well like that was that was probably the thing I enjoyed most about the possum shoot was like it was just four of us hanging out having a good time kind of thing with a bit of pest controlling in the mix. Well you don't and have to be, watching, Yeah, you don't have to be quiet or anything. No, nah, and just watching Stu running across a creek and getting covered in mud and <laughs> just <laughs> Just just having a ball and yeah, we just got to sit back in in the comfort of the car and Mark was on the quad bike just watching watching Stu race around after him.
2: Yeah, it's certainly um I've been trying to get one at the neighbours lately. He's got one that's eating his fruit. But it's uh it's become too clever. So as soon as it sees you coming, it'll be at the top of the tree, and it basically runs down, and sprints off. So uh, no, I might, tried. That
1: might be a thermal job.
2: Well, I did. I took the thermal. I just wanted to get it, shoot it from further away. But yeah, it did the same thing again. I thought, oh, there it is, right at the top of the tree, and that nah, high tailed it down and off, and I couldn't find it. Just went around and around trying to find the little bugger. But yeah, I've, I've but most had. most of the time they're pretty.
0: Sorry. I've had some get in. They get into the chook food. Yeah. Uh, with the you know the automated chook feeders, and once they're fed up on the that fucking chicken feed, they get big and they get smart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and, and I don't have thermal. all that extra protein. <laughs> yeah, they do, man.
0: And 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 uh, you so you get to walk outside, complete dark, and I don't have any thermal gear, so I just have to sneak around through the paddocks and try not to hurt myself in the dark. And then you've got about a one second window to turn the light on and shoot them. Otherwise, they just, and they don't stop running. Uh, they just,
1: yeah. yep. Yeah. Well, you just need Mark to put that XP50 back on the Springfield and just, six, Springfield six, onto him.
0: six, six <laughs> five the possum well, <laughs> wouldn't be the first one.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I have no doubts about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: No, it is good fun. And, and like you say, sometimes we'll have a night where we shoot 200 odds. So it's, um, it's pretty good fun. Um, but yeah, so
1: I think that's about the lot of pests you shot when you were here. Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. It was it was it was a really good trip. Thank you very much for for putting up with this. No, it was good fun. It
0: was uh it was worth it. Um so if you come back to New Zealand and I know you're um you've talked about it with me in the past, Um, what would your ideal sort of hunt be? Obviously, just coming to Taranaki to shoot goats isn't really the most um, financially viable trip. Um Especially when Mark's gonna start charging you hundred fifty dollars for a goat, <laughs>
1: but, but but that's gonna get expensive real quick.
0: Yeah, yeah, just shoot two, now I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Mark. <laughs>
1: um, but what if, you know, uh, tar, chamois, red, seeker. What what would you uh, ideal? Well, I've actually I've got next year's trip all booked in, and I'm going to be over there for a month, chasing mainly tar, mm-hmm. but potential of a chamois and maybe red in there as well. So that's that's probably like the, the ideal dream hunt is, is what I've got booked for next year. Uh, I I have chased tar before, but uh, the bull I got, I think it was like 10 and a half or 11 inches or something like that. So I'll be hoping to upgrade on him. And, and yeah, basically just going to be spending a month in the mountains, which I cannot wait.
0: That sounds pretty good. It's far too much hard work for me to fly in there for a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, awesome. yeah No awesome I
2: see I see you got a bit of um, bow hunting material that you've done um, is that growing in popularity or is it still a
1: it, it is but probably not so much down here uh, there's no nah. Just because I think a few people around, like there are a few diehard bow hunters and they're actually, you know, there's quite a few quiet achievers that shoot a lot of sand with the bow and a lot of fallow deer with the bow. But for the most part, I'd say Victoria's pretty low in terms of bow hunters compared to, say, New South Wales. Just because New South Wales has got more like your, your fallow deer, your red deer, your goats and your pigs. More probably bow friendly species versus yeah. Victoria with samba. Like, um, yeah, my partner and I got back from you know our last trip on the weekend, and as far as I'm aware, she's the first female to ever arrow a samba stag, and she did that on the weekend. So, when you wow, like so, so when you're sort of putting that into perspective, it just sort of shows that. And even even in terms of male archers, there's uh, It wouldn't surprise me if there was like less than 100 or 200 people that have arrowed a Samstag ever in Australia. Yeah. So, it's just a very, you know, difficult thing to do and logistically difficult for a lot of people as well because they either won't have the access or they don't have the time to commit to it like someone like myself. So... Yeah, I think the bow hunting is definitely not quite as popular here, just purely based on the species we have. Versus, yeah, places with more pigs and goats, and you know the the vocal deer species on the rut because you you can call them in, like a lot of people call in the fallow bucks and that, and shoot them with the bow, and same with the red deer. So,
2: yeah, but. No, it's good. Yeah. It's interesting to see. I mean, I've never seen anyone with a bow in my place. So, um.
0: I, I did it once when you weren't there. I shot a goat.
2: Ah. Well, and you and go.
0: then you called me a spear chucker afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and did Fair you enough. get the goat? Well, I, I got it. I didn't eat it. So it was a <laughs> small right, target. You still got it done? Yeah, yeah small target. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You must be very accurate. <laughs> No, it's hard. Um,
2: Um, So what time of year are you back over here next year? Is it winter? May. May. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good time as things are cooling down.
1: Yeah, that was the plan. I I did my last tar hunt at the end of April, and they were just sort of starting to to fire up, and their capes were quite nice in April. So I figured I'd just, yeah, do all of May and – yeah, see, see what, see what bloody critters I can find.
2: All right, excellent.
1: Well, I think they about. I think, Karen. I was just going to say, for that trip, um, Holly will be bringing her bow over as well, so she's going to try and arrow a tar. Oh, nice! That'll make a good so film that too. Will be, it, yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> I'm going to have the rifle there yeah, as well, be. just in case. The threat that the 300 will be coming along. <laughs> Won't be relying oh, on Oh, well, the then boat. you can
2: film film the bow film the bow being pulled back and let go. And then, yeah. yeah Shoot <laughs> it with the <laughs> rifles. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <Yeah>. Good idea. Because <laughs>
2: awesome. it'll be a long way to climb with a, with a bow to try and get close enough. I'll be impressed. You anyway, know, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it's, I think it's going to be definitely a case of trying to get above them and then drop in, like finding the right yep. animal in the right spot and then, yeah, creating a plan that way. It'll be a bit of fun anyway. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I'll probably need it. <laughs> cool. All well, right, we'll, she'll probably need
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well wrap this up. We've covered um, everything from dingoes to uh, transgender um, possums. So <laughs> thanks <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Tony. It's been fun. And um, uh, Thanks for having me. No worries. Maybe if you have a successful tar hunt, we'll talk about that in about six months. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be
2: awesome let's do that yeah all right cool all right well so thanks everyone for listening and uh, catch you later